Hey guys, we're talking about Patch Adams today, and it really got me thinking, is that the ideal type of doctor? I mean, he's super nice and charming and funny, but do you really want a doctor to come in and just be joking around with you the whole time and trying to make you laugh? You know, then you got Dr. House, who is a prick, but is a genius and can probably figure out what you have, even if it's some crazy, rare, weird illness. And then, of course, there's Dr. Dre, who lays down fat beats and can rap like the wind blows. Now, is he good at diagnosing people? I don't know. I don't know him personally. Maybe he is. And that might be the ideal doctor. Either way, let me know, write in or leave us a review because I need to know what the best kind of doctor is. I was just promoted to captain and president of healthcare in America. So I have to make the decision by tomorrow which kind of sucks because I'm super busy. I have to make the decision by tomorrow on what kind of doctors we're going to be pushing forward and if healthcare is going to be free or not. And I just don't know what I should do. I think I'm just going to flip a coin and decide that way, kind of like Two-Face would do. So enjoy the episode. Let me know what you think and have a wonderful and healthy rest of your day. Bad science. Did the movie get it right? Bad science. Or will we have to fight? Hi everybody, welcome to Bad Science. I'm Ethan Edinburgh, your host, and today we are talking about Patch Adams, the 1998 comedy drama, I guess. It's a little bit of both, I would say. Helping me break it down, I have two absolutely perfect guests. First, she is a comedian who has appeared on Conan and was selected by Time Out LA as one of the top 10 comics to watch in 2020. It's Emily Catalano. Hello. Thanks for having me. How's it going, Emily? It's going okay. (laughs) Um, Our next guest is perfect for today because she is a comedian and a board-certified practicing physician in internal medicine. It's Dr. Priyanka Wally. Hey, thanks for having me. How's it going? Good. Hanging in there, I guess. (laughs) Great. Um, People can't see this, but you're wearing a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles shirt, so I just felt like I had to say that. I love the Ninja Turtles. We've covered them on the podcast, and so people just should know that you're bringing a fun vibe today. Yeah, I mean, totally. There's two types of people in the world. Those that appreciate Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle t-shirts or those that don't. I hope that it's a small percentage that don't because I can't get into that mindset. I don't understand it. I know. That's just sad. Um, So can you explain how you're doing both of these jobs? How do you balance that? Like, where did that come from? Yeah, I mean, so I started doing comedy in residency to blow off some steam and I did not expect it to turn into this sort of second career. I thought I was just going to hit up an open mic and call it good, but it ended up turning into something much more exhilarating than I realized. So before COVID, I just would split my time, work part-time in medicine, and then do comedy. I don't Mm -hmm. recommend that. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) That makes sense. So before we get into the movie, I think everybody knows kind of the main philosophy of Patch Adams. And I just was curious for you, like, do you subscribe to that philosophy like i was reading some stuff online where people were a little bit divided on this wait are you asking me if i think laughter is the best medicine is that what this is essentially yes i'm gonna read you as an example i have a little film critique that went down when patch adams was released it received 
two thumbs down on the television series Siskel and Ebert, with particular uh, criticism towards the character of Patch, whom they viewed as overbearing, obnoxious, and sanctimonious. Uh, Emily is nodding, as well as noting that they would never trust a doctor who acted the way that Patch Adams does. <laughs> Gene Siskel said, I would rather turn my head and cough than see another moment of Patch Adams again. Okay, that's super <laughs> ironic because I'm pretty sure, like, didn't Ebert get a, like, one of those two died of a heart attack at some point, right? So it's like, maybe they shouldn't know. have been so critical of doctors from the get-go yeah. and they could, like, maybe they should have seen Patch Adams. Um <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know. I mean, okay, full disclosure, I think yeah. you know, in in residency and med school, I would get in trouble for being outspoken. So, mm. I kind of can empathize with Patch and his his essentially existential crisis within the medical system about the fact that there was no humanity in medicine. And and that's something that I philosophically agree with. I mean, think about the times that you go to the doctor, you might get 10, 15, 20 minutes tops. Mm -hmm. You're coming in as this whole person and suddenly this other person who's going to spend not that much time with you is supposed to like figure it all out. It just doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah. Like there, there is an issue right now, even in our medical system, where we're not appreciating the importance of emotions in health and mm -hmm. people's feelings. And I think Patch was a very sort of emotional, at least his character portrayed in the movie. I never met Dr. Adams myself, so I wish I could vouch for his personal character. Essentially, he's, he's advocating that we need to bring humanity back into medicine because feelings matter. Yeah. Okay. Did that I mean, like not you. exist before Patch though? Like before Patch Adams came around, all doctors like just didn't talk to their patients? I think the portrayal of sort of looking at patients as diseases as opposed to people who are suffering from illnesses, I honestly, I, I'm sad to say it's kind of a novel concept now. I mean, it's something that, wow. you know, I started to get taught in medical school, things like um, we were taught then to not say so-and-so is an alcoholic. You would have to say so-and-so is um, a 34 year old man who suffers from alcoholism. So putting the human being first, that wasn't something that that's not innate. That is something that's actually taught to us about how to kind of engage, but it's an, it's a new concept. At least when I went to med school, like 10 plus years ago, that movie came out before I was a med student. So I think that movie came out in 98. So yeah, um, um, for, you would think that this would be like one of the tenets but I definitely did not see that when I was training. Wow. Did they train you to do uh, balloon animals? No, and I'm really upset about that. <laughs> yeah, I totally love that scene. By the way, I don't know if you guys, I was like sobbing the entire movie. Like the balloon animal scene, sobbing. The noodle yeah. scene, sobbing. <laughs> it's a, I mean, I'm pretty susceptible to getting teary-eyed uh, just in general. So... Uh, I shed a few tears during this movie. Emily, did you shed a few tears? You seem to me to be somewhat anti-Patch Adams the film. Is that accurate? Yeah, I had a hard time with it. I just felt like <laughs> he was so annoying. <laughs> like, I, if I was sick, like I, he would be like the last person I would want to interact with. You want a serious, responsible doctor to come in. 
Yeah, who's not, I mean, he's like a first year med student too. So he wasn't even like a doctor. Like, I don't know. He's just like very uh-huh. unprofessional. Yeah. If you, if the patient doesn't want to laugh, like don't make them laugh. He was like too persistent. <laughs> yeah, oh, that makes sense. So I feel like when comedians perform at venues where the audience has no idea that comedy is about to happen mm-hmm. and they're like, almost like, wait, what is happening? Mm-hmm. Is, isn't a comedian guilty of the same thing Patch Adams is doing, like forcing people to laugh? Yeah, but like the people at the bar aren't like dying. Right. <laughs> they're drinking a beer. Like They didn't just not, have surgery. They're dying yeah. emotionally inside, Emily. We're all diseased, I guess. <laughs> but we're not, also not like claiming uh, to be professional comedians. <laughs> that's true we're not lying to them i i agree obviously there were thematic effects like it's not every doctor is freaking robin williams level performance art right but these concepts of like why don't we call a patient by their name Mm -hmm. these simple ideas why don't we treat like why don't we understand what people's dreams and fantasies are and like what actually brings them happiness yeah that isn't some like that is stuff that wouldn't hurt to know about a patient Mm -hmm. i'm not saying you have to like give them noodle baths but (laughs) right it would be helpful Mm -hmm. i definitely agree with what you were saying about the time you know not that i've spent tons of time in hospitals but i've you know had like a surgery or two and i've also just gone in worrying about something that didn't end up being anything and i wish that the doctor had spent more time with me just in case, just asking me, I don't know, random crap as if he was investigating, trying to find out what it is, you know? Like, I have I've, i don't know if you guys have experienced this, but I've caught myself trying to almost ask the doctor questions and trying to relate to him so that he or she will feel compelled to stay in the room and just communicate with me about what my potential issue might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love that I, if that was more common practice. I mean, it seems like I don't want to be a dick, but they're paid enough to spend some more time with uh, everybody that comes in. I, so I don't this know. Is, this is the big fallacy, right? Because like, it's not the doctor, it's the system. It's a mm. systemic issue because unfortunately now because of what insurance companies have forced the medical system to switch to, you know, doctors used to, it was so many doctors would like have their own little practice and they'd spend all this time and they do. And, and sometimes they would have like sliding scales and people could pay what they could and it would just sort of work out. But after great. insurance companies came in and said, okay, everybody's going to get covered, which is good. Everyone should get access to healthcare, but we're going to standardize it. So every single person gets 20 minutes and we're all going to order the same tests. And like, there's no variation. That doesn't make any sense. Like we're different human beings with different nuances. It's not going to be a one size fits all. Mm -hmm. And so physicians have been sort of molded now into working in the system. I know when I used to work with a small group private practice seeing like 20 patients a day, I always left the room with this feeling of like, I could have done so much more for this person, but my hands are tied because of the system and the way it's set up. And so it it actually has nothing to do with the way doctors are paid. It's actually, it's a much bigger issue than that. Why do you think it is... This is more of, I guess, a systemic question. 
But, you know, he, because Patch Adams is a real guy, for those who don't know or haven't seen the movie or whatever, you can visit his website, patchadams.org. I have some stuff here I wanted to read about it. But my question is basically like, why don't more people do something like this? You know, why aren't there these kind of free clinics run by, you know, doctors who are incredibly intelligent and I'm, I assume recognize how flawed the system is. So why isn't this more of a common thing where there's some, you know, rebellion within the system? Well, I mean, so a few reasons. Um, let's say a doctor opens up a practice and says, I'm going to give you free health care. I'm going to just be the doctor. The patient still is going to have to pay a lot of money because let's say I order a lab. Mm-hmm. Now I'm back in the system because I have to work at a order something within a system or if I want to order an x-ray back in the system you want to get any kind of test done back in the system so unless you're practicing a type of care where it's super just you and the patient Mm -hmm. most healthcare these days it's much bigger than that it takes a village and so the patient's still gonna get a lot of issues in terms of the cost of things unless they have insurance to cover it so even if I want to do that kind of stuff, there's still barriers. And mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, there's there are free clinics that exist there. There a lot of them are government funded. Um, there's a lot of issues. It's not perfect. But um, you know, if you go to like LA County Hospital or Highland Hospital, you won't get turned away for not having funds. Right. Those places will accept you. Okay. Um, speaking on what we were, what you were just saying, because of, of course I understand how it's like super expensive. Um, I would just assume that there would be more nonprofits like his that were well funded. But here it seems like, yeah, I guess our hands are tied into the process that we're that we're stuck in, which to me seems uh super broken. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor over here. But do you feel like optimistic that we are? headed in a better direction in in the healthcare industry in the United States? Or are we just kind of like stuck in this cycle? I'm not too optimistic right now. (laughs) Awesome. You know, and I think COVID has just, it's shined light on all the real dark shadows of the healthcare system. Yeah. It seems like there might need to be a total collapse before we can rebuild things. There has to be a radical shift. I mean, there's no question that we need universal health care for every citizen living in the United States, every person. Yeah, I think things are really not good. And uh, I think the government needs to listen to people and stop ignoring what people are saying and what physicians are saying. Yeah, definitely. My mom's an RN. She just retired. But like I every day just hearing stories of like how bad like the healthcare system is, you know. I don't know why it's so hard to accomplish. I hope that we do it someday soon. But just to give you a a little, in case you're unaware, uh, people listening at home, these are some of the countries that offer some form of universal healthcare. Australia, Austria, Belgium, Canada, Cyprus, Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Greece, Iceland, Ireland, Israel, Italy, Japan, Kuwait, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, Portugal, Singapore, Slovenia, South Korea, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, and the United Kingdom. So it seems pretty fucked that we cannot mm-hmm. get it together in this department. Um, just to add to this awesome pessimism that we're kind of on a roll with, <laughs> I found there's a speech that the real Patch Adams gave in 2010 at the Mayo Clinic 
and this is little child Ethan heard this, he'd be really disappointed. But he said, quote, the film promised to build our hospital, but none of the profits from the film ever came to us. And so basically 40 years into this work, we're still trying to build our hospital. Oh my God. Wait, what? I was just dumbfounded by that because, you know, if the movie that's depicting the story isn't going to help pay for the hospital, who in the hell is going to help pay for the hospital, you know? Oh, wow. Jeez. Uh, I, That's so disappointing. I had no idea. Yeah, and it's still, like, trying to get funds for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they have... Um, I mean, I know that they've raised a, a significant amount of money, so it's not that they're, like, flat broke. Like, they have a piece of land, and they have certain facilities already built. I think they have, like, three or four different facilities built, but it's the hospital is not open. I think that's also why he does so many speaking engagements and why he's, you know, clowning all around the world. Wow. You know, I mean, I gotta say, though, like, I don't know if this is pessimism. I think this is this is a reality check. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is this is what's happening. And I I think it would be it would actually be insincere to sort of Mm -hmm. get all Pollyanna about this situation. You know, this is kind of what I've seen as a physician. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's like this is the world. Like, you can't just like make some movie that sells and think it's going to like solve all your problems, especially if the right. people backing the movie, like, they don't actually care about the cause. They just want the movie to be made. Yeah. I just had a little more hope, I guess, and, and assumed, I don't know. Cause like at the end of Free Willy, there's a, you know, it says like, donate money to save blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> And so I was like, okay, well, these people kind of care because if not, they wouldn't have put that message right smack at the end of, you know, the final frame. But I don't know with this one. It maybe, was like, yeah, maybe if Robin Williams wasn't so annoying, they would have <laughs> raised enough money to build the hospital, right? That's true. If his performance was a toned little, it down a little bit, right? If his performance was a little toned down, then mm-hmm. fundraising would have been easy. Nobody wants to go to that hospital now. <laughs> you're oh a child. God. They have enough comedy on Netflix. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go back to the show about science. So, speaking of you know just negativity and disappointment and um, reality, reality, reality. Sorry, speaking of reality, towards the beginning of the film, they show he's suicidal. He's on a bunch of medications. He like opens his mirror thing, and there's like eight different uh, medications that he's on. And yeah, I actually, I actually paused. Oh, <laughs> the movie during that scene because I because I knew I was doing this podcast. So I was kind of like, I wonder what kind of drugs they have him on. First of all, the names on that script it said Anna Adams. It wasn't Hunter Adams. Okay, uh, which was his name. Uh, so I was like, these aren't even the right. He's taking somebody else's drug. pills. Is that what they're insinuating? <laughs> it's like, well, that might be part of the problem. <laughs> and then um, one, I could only read one of the labels. It was TMP, DS, um, trimethoprim, and DS stands for double strength. And that's an antibiotic. And so so (laughs) they must have just grabbed, they were like, who in the cast has the last name Adams? Like, okay, you got a urinary tract infection? No worries. Like, let's just get the drugs in Just has to look like medication. Who cares? Yeah. And I I was like, oh, wow. Did he have like prostatitis while he was so depressed or something? (laughs) I guess so. Um, So I was, you know, just doing some basic research on suicide rates. And I also just happened to watch 
a movie called The Social Dilemma on Netflix. And they make a strong case in the movie that social media has basically been at the root of these suicide rates going up, especially in in younger uh, people. So mm. I was just curious your thoughts on like how we treat depression, if it's worldwide or if it's, you know, just domestically here, um, anxiety, other mental illnesses, and, and how you think we could improve uh, quality of life for people that are suffering in that way. Yeah. So, I mean, how we treat depression, I think, you know, look at where it all begins. Look at the, the medical system. The physicians have the highest rate of suicide compared to any other profession. Whoa. And they have twice the suicide rate as the general population. In fact, the American Psychiatric Association estimates that one physician dies by completed suicide per day. Wow. So if you want to think about how are we treating mental health, look at our own back door. We don't even take care of our own physicians. So how are we going to be able to take care of the way other people feel. Yeah. Um, I mean, is that like a lack of safety net? Like I know when, uh, you know, someone from, let's say the FBI encounters some sort of, you know, traumatic event, they immediately are assigned to a therapist and like, you know, post-traumatic stress rehabilitation. Is that just non-existent for physicians? Are they just supposed to like suck it up? First of all, I mean, the field of medicine seeing death and dying would already qualify for something that could make you have PTSD. Yeah. If you're in a supportive environment, meaning if you're lucky, um, you might have access to mental health therapists. For example, um, when I trained uh, up in Oregon, it was I was one of the luckier residents in the sense that they offered free therapy for the residents. But that was really a privilege. Not all residency programs that are training doctors have access to therapists. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's not it's not something that's really accounted for. I mean, you know, that line in the movie where the guy's like, we're going to make doctors out of you or whatever he says. I mean, like it, it no one ever like spoke to us like that. But actions, I mean, they put us in this environment and they expose us to all these like very emotionally intense things. And we're just supposed to like deal with it. And and the the most frustrating thing about the system is that if let's say a physician is feeling suicidal or is kind of depressed, if they were to talk to the medical board about their feelings, they could run the risk of losing their medical license. So wow. there's no incentive to be open about this because it could end up destroying their life anyway. I had no idea that the rates for physicians were so high. I mean, I would never have assumed that. It's so this this is what I'm saying like the system isn't on it's not even recognizing the problem in the sense that you can't help others if you can't help yourself first. And and, and this is clear evidence that again, we've removed the humanity out of the healthcare system and so this is the result so in a way like the things patch is talking about make a lot of sense you know it goes back to this premise that if we don't acknowledge the issues within our own self how the heck are we going to acknowledge it in others mm -hmm. and so this is why what patch adams is talking about is so important because you have to be able to see your own humanity if you want to see the humanity in others. Right. Okay. And it's evidence. I think the fact that suicide rates are so high amongst physicians is concrete 
evidence that we're not taking care of ourselves, which is why we're doing a bad job taking care of other people. Yeah. There's a stereotype that was brought up uh, in this film that I also wanted to ask you about, speaking of psychiatrists, where he's just blatantly not listening to him. And he's able to even go off about an anecdote of how his like, penis is a pogo stick and how it'll take him to the moon or something. And the doctor's like, okay, yeah, very good. We're out of time, though. So because I don't want to dissuade people from seeking out therapy. But then there is this I don't know, like, uh, yeah, just a stereotype that people have that they're, you know, crazy themselves. I've heard that a bunch of times also. So do you think that that's even real, this weird thing? <laughs> what is reality? Um, okay, so a couple of things. In the movie, he's talking to a psychiatrist, not a therapist. Right. I think that's a really important delineation. Yeah. Psychiatrists, typically, they're medical doctors, whereas therapists are, are not usually medical doctors. Psychiatrists can prescribe medications, therapists can't. So do uh, is it helpful seeing a therapist? I think absolutely, but it's important that you find the right therapist. I think finding the right therapist is kind of like dating. You may have to meet a couple of people before you find the right match. Mm. And what's cool about therapy is that there's all different types of therapists depending on what the issue is. If you have anxiety, depression, OCD, trauma, PTSD, or if you just want to you know, reevaluate your life goals, maybe just see how you can be a better human being, stop being an asshole, whatever, you mm -hmm. know, so um, it's a it's definitely an art to finding the right therapist, though, what I recommend a really good tip psychologytoday.com. They have a really big database of therapists, you just type in your zip code, and you can click, you know, gender, what's the issue you want to work on, and they'll give you a whole list of people and they have the therapist picture on it too. So you can then read the picture and go to the website and choose someone for you. You can see if they're hot. And so that's yeah, exactly. <laughs> number one criteria. And, uh, and then you know, if you can also see if they accept your insurance or not, some there, some therapists don't accept insurance, maybe you don't have insurance, then there are some free clinics that will offer therapy for a sliding scale. So there's always something for for everyone. Okay, psychologytoday.com. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, we'll check that out. Um, I had a quick question about Beanie, who is uh, also at the ward there towards the beginning, and he is catatonic. And oh, right. I was wondering what causes uh, this uh, state and do we have ways of bringing people back from it? Right. So, so they don't, we don't actually know what causes catatonia per se exactly. I mean, we know there's some kind of misfiring going on in the brain, mm -hmm. um, but we don't know the exact mechanism. And sometimes certain antipsychotic medications can actually cause catatonia. There's actually different types of catatonia. He had a type of catatonia where the muscles slow and he stops moving, but there's also different types of catatonia where you move a lot, you move a lot more, or sometimes you repeat a lot of words. So there's different ways to do it. I mean, it's associated heavily with depression and trauma and uh, what anything that's sort of causing you to psychologically get into a state where your brain is so affected can make you become catatonic. Hmm. You know, another way to look at it is like if someone gets so traumatized, you know, if you get really scared, kind of like you did earlier in this podcast, you froze, your image froze, and then you just, you were technically catatonic. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's scary. So, but the thing is, catatonia is almost like a prolonged freeze response to some kind of trigger initial trauma. I mean, there are ways to to work through it. 
and to kind of overcome it. What they were showing in the movie was clearly like a really extreme case. I've only seen one case of catatonia and the patient was, you know, visibly sort of distraught. Um, She was able to still talk, but wasn't able to move. And that was when I was in medical school on my psychiatry rotation. Yeah, it just seems like, uh, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty out there. Uh, I was just hoping that you were going to tell me like, oh, no, we've developed a pill that nobody has that anymore. Um, For some (laughs) reason, that's like never what happens when I talk to scientists, by the way. Anyways, (laughs) so... Uh, I, I wanted to ask, uh, this is this might be a weird one, so forgive me possibly, but I was trying to read into just mental help facilities in general and insane asylums and psychiatric wards, etc. And I came upon... Um, and I don't think they call them insane asylums I, anymore. But... I read an article where they said insane asylums a bunch. I was surprised. Loony, uh, I was surprised also, but it was in there. So I was like, all right, I'll mention that. Um Anyways, it's probably dated because it was talking about uh, in the 80s. It was talking about Reagan in 81 and how he's responsible for like emptying out a bunch of these mental health facilities, something about funding, and that many people claim that that led to this like huge uptick in homelessness. I don't know. I was just curious if that's true and if you know about that and is that's why we have the homeless populations that we do. So I, I'm not aware of Reagan's policies on mental institutions per se, but I do think it makes sense that, I mean, there is a very high rate of mental illness in the homeless population. I don't know how much it compares to the general population. You know, why someone becomes homeless, there's a multitude of reasons, but they, whether it's they have prior trauma or there's an organic mental health illness, you know, it's hard to say. I don't know too much about the mental health data in the homeless population. Okay. Um, I assume that we could be doing a much better job of supplying some sort of help for uh, anyone in even a similar situation. Yeah. I mean, obviously, but this is America, Ethan. Damn right. <laughs> like, I forgot. You're on your own, bootstraps, yeah, et cetera. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, lastly, um, I haven't seen this documentary, but I do know that there is one out there that came out recently about Robin Williams and about uh, Louis body dementia, which he suffered from. And so I wanted to ask you about that. What is Louis body dementia? And if there are ways we can prevent it? Yeah, totally. So there, there's multiple types of dementia out there, not just Alzheimer's, or vascular dementia, which you can see with diabetes. Lewy body is just one of the different types. And specifically, the the, the cardinal feature of Lewy body dementia is um, there can be Parkinsonian features. So what, what I mean by that is there might be trembling, shaking, and psych, psych, psychiatric issues. So when, when I actually heard about the way Robin died when he did i my initial reaction wasn't like it wasn't like a just a depression leading to a death by suicide it seemed so out of character for him and when i learned a few days after his death that he actually had been diagnosed with parkinson's disease that's when i was like oh this might have actually been a manifestation of that disease because sometimes in Parkinsonian type diseases, an initial psychotic outbreak could be the initial 
presenting feature or it could be a sequelae. You know, his family talked about how, yeah, like he did have depression and alcoholism in the past, but that was all stable. And then he got mm. Parkinson's and then boom, all of a sudden he kills himself in this way. It seemed like the disease had progressed. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it sort of took hold of him. Yeah. Which was, I didn't know that. Really That's sad. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still sad about Robin. Yeah. yeah. Are there things that we can do as spry young people that we are to help stop these diseases from forming? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot you can do. Taking care of your body is, I think, probably the best investment you can do, even as a young person. You can never start too early. Um, so the avoiding foods like sugar, which causes direct inflammation to cells in the body, can at least d decrease your risk of developing these types of things. So like getting screened for things like diabetes or prediabetes, um, like eating a healthy diet, staying exercised, um, and even socializing with other human beings. These are all very important things for uh, preventing you from dying from these types of diseases and just all, all cause mortality. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, I, I thank you both for being on the program. Um, I had a great time, even though we covered such difficult topics, uh, <laughs> to cover. I'm, I promise you next time we're just going to do a movie about like dolphins. Yeah. <laughs> so where can, uh, where can people find you? Do you have something you'd like to promote? Emily, would you like to go first? Um, yeah, I also have a podcast called Hesby Street and I just do it with my roommates Great. and we do a zoom live zoom comedy show every week. Awesome. And it's, uh, you know, it's something. <laughs> it's some well if you guys are into something you're gonna love this yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's h-e-s-b-y yes fantastic has be street and where can people find you online if they're online which we just told people not to be yeah a short while ago and too much time there but you can find me at uh emilycomedy.com and like all links to the socials are there fantastic and congrats on getting emilycomedy.com thanks <laughs> yeah. emily carolina was taken so <laughs> It was the next best thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's still very good. Uh, Dr. Priyanka Wally. Yeah, you can uh, follow me on social media at Wally Priyanka, W-A-L-I-P-R-I-Y-A-N-K-A. Um, I also have a podcast. It's called Pre-Existing Condition, where we uh, deal with a different medical disease every episode. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's fun. What do you mean deal with a different disease? Like you break down? We, it's me. It's me and another comedian, Sammy Obeyed. And each week we interview a comedian with a medical disease. Oh. And so every episode is a different disease. Must be so hard to find comedians with medical diseases, though. <laughs> Wait, that's sarcasm, right? Because, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that sounds awesome. Pre-existing conditions. Is that correct? Yeah, it's pre-exist podcast if you're searching for it. Awesome. Okay. Well, beautiful. Thank you guys so much again for, for joining me. And if you're listening to this and you're one of the people that made millions of dollars <laughs> off patch adams give a million dollars to the real patch adams i mean yeah the gazuntite institute yeah the gazuntite institute doesn't that make sense it's his movie i just i wanted to make sure i said that all right peace and love see you later thanks for joining thank me. you thanks bad science is a seeker podcast produced by emily feld and me ethan edinburgh our editor is lucas bollinger and our social media is managed by blue whale media shout out to ej and kate and of course the executive patch deucer is brett kushner 
Oh, follow us on Instagram at BadSciencePod. If there's a movie you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, feel free to email at BadScienceAtSeeker.com. That's BadScienceAtSeeker.com. And please leave us an iTunes review. Give us five stars. I sound like an Uber driver. But it does help. It makes sure people know about the podcast, which we really appreciate. Thanks for listening. Bye.